0: If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org.
1: Well, good morning. It's uh, a real privilege to uh, in, have my friend Steve uh, Tibbert here to come and to speak to us. He's from London, England. I first met him when I was 29. I was, it was, I'd been leading this church for like two months, and I, I'd seen what he was doing, what he, the church he was building. Uh, from a distance in London and just like, man, I need to get around this guy. And I think he was trying to get rid of me a little bit, but I was persistent and kind of held on to him. And And over these years, I think 14 years now, uh, uh, just his, his leadership, his mentorship, has just meant a lot in terms of how I think about the church. So we've you've benefited from him, even though you may not have met him before. So it's great to have him uh, speak. He leads a, a great church. And one of the coolest things about him, one of the things I really appreciate about him is that even though he's probably one of the whitest guys that I know, he leads a black-majority church in London, which is strange. I mean, he's, he's so white. How white, How white is it? I'm glad you had We went to Pappy's yesterday, and he's eating his ribs with a knife and a fork. Look at that. I was like, Steve, you do not eat ribs from Pappy's, the, the best ribs in the United States. You don't eat them with a knife and a fork. But anyway, there he is. He's But he leads a great church <laughs> in London, thriving church. Like I said, very, very diverse. Uh, he also plays a, a really um, uh, key role in helping bring leadership to our wider family of new frontiers uh, across the globe. Uh, if you're new to us, we're part of a worldwide family, 2,500-something different churches and 80-some nations. And he's going throughout the world to uh, help bring leadership to us. And I'm sure he'll tell some stories about that as well as his church. And so would you please give a very, very warm, non-polite welcome to Steve Tibbert. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Well, it's uh, really good to uh, be with you. And can I just say I'm uh, a white English guy. And uh, we have manners where I come from, and we know how to eat properly. And it's called a, a knife and a fork. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I feel actually, really we've got quite a lot to offer the American nation when it comes to <laughs> when it, it comes to eating habits. And uh, so I'm just going to impart that to you, I happily model it for you. Um, the ribs were good by the way. So anyway, but thanks for that. Welcome, Brian, I think. Uh, so it's uh, great to be with you. As Brian said, um, I do two things. I lead a church in London, also help and serve the wider New Frontiers family, which means that my wife and I, Deb here, is uh, with me. She, Deb, why don't you just stand up and wave at everyone? She just loved doing that, and I love... It. It's just, it's just, it's just, this is a real beautiful girl. We'll be married 30 years. We're very happy. And uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so, um, yeah, we have the privilege of traveling around a bit. And I'd just like to make you aware of a couple of situations in the wider New Frontiers family I ask you to pray uh, for our friends. First, in Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe, if you know anything about what's happening in the nation, it's going through a very demanding time. Uh, Deb and I have been to Harare or Zim uh, for the last seven years, uh, every year, once once a year for seven years. Two years ago, we actually flew in while the coup that wasn't the coup was happening. That was exciting. I, can, I, I would tell the story wherever I go. It wasn't as dangerous as it sounds, but I flew into an African nation while a coup's going on. I think that's just cool to have that on your kind of like, uh, maybe gravestone, it could have been. But anyway, uh, we... Um, we flew in and we got met by Scott uh, Marks and he he said, let's go and look at the tanks in the city. And we literally went down and saw them. It was, it was quite a remarkable uh, weekend. It ended a couple of days later with Mugabe standing down. It was quite remarkable to be in the nation while that was going on. We were there again last November. This time it was a different challenge. Hyperinflation had hit, if you know what's going on in Zimbabwe. So the pastors we know on the ground are like the pastors here, just kind of normal guys, um, uh, they were telling us that they were being paid the same as four weeks before, but food was four times, four times expensive. So you just think of that, a number of you run a, a home and, you know, you get... And, and hyperinflation, it goes up daily. So you're literally making daily decisions. And then just a few... Uh, about a month or so ago, uh, the government... Uh, the petrol went up two and a half times over the weekend to get petrol, speaking to Scott... In a queue for ten hours, and so just normal life grinds to a halt. And so, do pray for the believers in Zimbabwe. They're a part of our family. When Brian and Rachel and John and Linda and Deb and I meet up in Northern Cyprus, and we gather the apostolic family from around the world, there are people like this in the room, and I meet them, and I find it deeply challenging. I have to say, So I live in fairly comfortable London as you live in fairly comfortable St. Louis. It's not that we don't have challenges in our life, but I'm not facing issues like that. I meet these people and I wonder if I'm still a Christian. I really do. I think, gosh, what would I... I mean, how would I respond? They find the churches are vibrant. More people go to church. It's interesting. One of our challenges is, of course, in the culture we live in, there's so much other security. um, You don't lean into God as much as maybe we should. So they're a remarkable uh, group of churches. So do pray for Zimbabwe. Mention them before the Lord today, if you would. And then in May, we have the privilege to go to Kiev together. We're going to meet up with Andre and Natasha, a wonderful Russian-speaking couple. Um, Their story is that they were leading a vibrant, or continue to lead a vibrant network of churches, but they were based in the the east of the country and when the Russians came in to secure the warm port in the Crimea, all the churches there moved from being a part of Ukraine now back in under Russian rule. That's a big change. The church that Andre was leading, the church building was taken over by the army. So just think, think, try and try and get your head in it. As you know, you've invested given this is your where you meet and then the army turn up and literally take it over. They had to flee. Uh, so a new frontiers pastor jumps in a car with his three kids, including a 10-week-year-old. Anything they could get in the car and drive out of the war zone, and they live in a flat in uh, Kiev, and we're going to see them. There's some remarkable heroes of the faith in our network family of churches around the world, and uh, it's good for us to uh, pray f- uh, uh, for them. Um And so we have the privilege of doing that, but also I lead a multi-site church in London. It's a very diverse church. It is a third African, a third black African, a third black Caribbean, and a third white. Everything we do is cross-cultural. The worship is pretty gospel-y. It's brilliant. And I've had to get used to being known as Pastor Steve. And every week I would be at church and someone would curtsy, uh, which is not my kind of culture. Uh, at all. If I'm going through a door in my church and there's a lady, my culture is you open the door and let the lady through. Uh, sometimes I've stood there for a long time while a lady on the other side, no, you, Pastor. <laughs> and it's kind of the honor shame culture. Yeah, you get it? And um, um, so I've had to learn a lot. I've just Just in the end now, I tend to just walk through and say thank you. Uh, But Deb doesn't need a special throne at the front and I don't need someone to carry my Bible. I'm strong enough and things like that. So there's loads of stuff that you pick up and it's a complete joy. Um, Our kids have grown up as a minority. Uh, So my kids went to the local school. They're a minority. My son played in the soccer team. He was the only white guy in the whole team. And so he's grown up in minority but with the benefits of white majority legacy, positive legacy. Uh, so my son hasn't experienced racism. Uh, but, uh, but you know, if you if 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 you're if you're if um, you're black African or black Caribbean, you experience racism all the time. And uh, it's, a, it's a fun context to lead in, and I'm forever learning about it. So. Um, uh, and you know, I suspect you'll become more and more diverse as a community as you continue to grow, and that'll be an area for uh, for you to dialogue. Just talk, tell stories. That's the best way to to learn, and it, it breaks down barriers. Anyway, so hey, uh, that's just a little bit about uh, us, and um, it's a privilege to preach today, and uh, I'm going to speak on the theme of guidance. Uh, I've pastored a church nearly 25 years. My experience is Christians tend to, most of them want to be in the will of God. And most Christians are good. And they're, you know do I make You and me are trying to stay in line with what God wants for my life. And when it comes to making small or even maybe big decisions about relationships or marriage or children or use of time or careers or what we're going to do with our homes or our money or what we're going to give our possessions, we want to kind of be in God's will. And in many ways, the bigger the decision, the more we want to kind of hear God And so as Christians and believers, we have to learn as we mature to hear how God speaks to us. Sometimes we just like it like writing in the sky, please, or angel, something like that. But my experience, that doesn't happen very often. In fact, that's never happened to me. You hear some Christians, things like that happen. You just kind of get envious about it, don't you? Uh, um, Normally when that happens, life, you've got big challenge and trouble coming. So you need such revelation that will carry you through. So there is another side to that story. But um, but we wanna hear God, don't we? I'm assuming today that you wanna know how God guides and that's what I'm gonna speak on. The psalmist says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I'm gonna root the teaching in the book of Acts. <coughs> so excuse me, turn to Acts 16. I think it will come up on the screen here. And we're going to read that in a moment. Uh, but just to set the context, this is at the beginning of the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. First missionary journey has gone with Barnabas and they went to Cyprus and they kind of go around like this way. Second missionary journey begins with uh, Paul and Barnabas actually just falling out before they go off. Uh, In between the first and second missionary journey, there is the Council of Jerusalem where they go and present their gospel. They receive the right hand of fellowship from the apostles. They commend their gospel and they're sent on their way. Uh, And then we have this strange breakup, don't we? What I like about the scriptures is it, it, I mean, if I was writing it, I'd probably, this is a bit of bad news, we'll keep that out. Yeah, it's a bit bit embarrassing that the two great apostles have fallen out over a family member, Mark, cousin Mark, who wants, Barnabas wants to bring along and Paul doesn't think she'd be on the team. It's a little bit family, it's all a bit tricky. But what I like about the honesty of the scripture, it just states it happens, doesn't dwell on it. And then interestingly, they both go off on, on mission. Uh, Barnabas goes back to Cyprus, which is where they first went and where he comes from, and Paul goes back the way that, uh, uh, back the opposite way to the, on the first missionary journey. Let's read the passage, and we we'll pick it up in verse six. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border of Macedonia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. And so they passed by Messinia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So we just put the map up just so you can kind of visualise this. So here's Antioch here and up in Lystra here they pick up Timothy and they end up in Troas thinking they would have gone down to Ephesus or north to Bithynia and this was the first missionary journey. This is the second and Barnabas and Mark go back to Cyprus. So I hope that helps you. And when Paul planted churches he actually followed the prophetic but he also had quite a clear strategic plan he would uh, tend to do things very similar. So whenever he went to a province, he would always end up in the capital city of that province. So Achaia, where he would go to Corinth. When he does go to Ephesus in the third missionary journey, that is the capital of Asia. Um, And um, that's his normal plan. So he follows the prophetic, but he's very comfortable with a, a kind of strategic plan. Uh, he would normally go to the temple if there was a temple he would go and preach to the Jews first if there wasn't a temple he'd go to the place of prayer and so it's a very similar pattern and I think sometimes in churches you get people that are really prophetic and they think it's all got to be the looser it is the more spiritual it is well I, I don't I don't go with that I think particularly as you get larger you actually have to have planning and thought through and good communication and I think You can see in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, the both-and. My experience of pastoring, most times it's a both-and, by the way. So there's prophetic and strategic planning. They're not contradictory. They complement each other. And this uh, team set out, and they're kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in Asia. And uh, they can't get into Bithynia, and they end up in Troas, um, I don't know if in your life you've you felt like your life is made up of more closed doors than open doors. So here's a team. This is the Apostle Paul himself and it, you know he's trying to follow God and there's a closed door south and there's a closed door north and they end up at Troas. Um, maybe this says more about me than you but I find it easier to worship God when doors are opening. I come this morning and I had a, a, a an interview for a job this week, let's say, and I get the job. I'm like, Jesus, Jesus opening doors for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, I had an interview this week and I come in, oh, Jesus, closed the job. Meant I didn't get it. I'm so pleased. Yeah. No? I think, let's be real, very often when there are things we hope will happen, when it doesn't happen, it's tough emotionally, but it doesn't mean that God's not in control. And uh, maturity comes that you worship in, in any circumstance when doors are opening and when doors are closing. Uh, John Stott, who's an English uh, writer, says, we in our day need to trust him for guidance and rejoice equally in his restraints and constraints. Um, I'm just being honest with you, I find it easier when everything's opening up. But sometimes when things close down, uh, you can see the faithfulness of God, particularly with the gift of hindsight, uh, which is one I wish I had more of. Uh, It's interesting, isn't it? When some of the most famous missionaries, where they first went was not where they ended. So David Livingstone uh, tried to go to China before God sent him to Africa, William Carey first went to Polynesia in the Southern Seas, but God then guided him to India. I know in my own life, I never planned to lead a church in London. I grew up in a provincial town north of London, about 50 miles north, um, in Bedford, it's a place called Bedford. That's where I got saved. That's where I met Debs, where we got married, where we had our first two kids. That's where I became a youth pastor. And as I approached 30, uh, the senior pastor, one of the fathers in Christ, my, well, probably my father in Christ, Peter Ledger, the pastor, they had an emotional breakdown. And as a young guy, I was asked to lead the church. I was the youngest elder and all the other elders said, you, you lead it. And uh, I'm grateful they did because I learned a lot through all the mistakes I made. And um, and they kind of backstopped me. And then after nine months, the pastor came back and we were overseen by a guy called Dave Holden. You may know him. He might have preached here. He's a great guy. And... Um, he, he said, well, I wonder whether this is the moment for Steve to lead. And Peter, you can stay on the team. But Peter didn't want that. He said, no, I want to lead this church. And so, okay, fair enough. And I didn't want to be involved in a takeover. So I just stood down and said, we'll, we'll leave. I remember going back to home to Deb and saying, I think it's time to leave. And Deb, she's such a godly girl. She said, I'll go anywhere but London. And um, now when I come back and so say, I'm thinking of move, moving, she says, I'll go anywhere but California <laughs> or Hawaii her two favourite options. So she's learned how God speaks and she's a very spiritual girl. And um, so I can see in my own life that what's happened in the church I lead in London, which is a large church from a UK perspective, would never have happened if that door wasn't closed. At the time, it was really difficult, really painful. It meant I had to move my whole family and we moved to a a rundown church in urban London, which took me, I was scared to get to the car for the first five years. It was so different. Just to go out and get something from the car, I'm kind of just, I never did get jumped, but I thought I might be, you know, and uh, uh, such was I I as a provincial boy, you see. So uh, I'm grateful for that now, though. I probably wouldn't be preaching here today if that, Door hadn't been closed. And uh, so God's good. God knows best for us. Uh, But at the same time, we want to discern what he's leading us at any given point while trusting his sovereignty, while we're working it out, we want to hear from him. I hope you do. Anyway, I do. And this passage, uh, John Stott says, uh, says there are some important principles of divine guidance that in fact exemplify or exemplified in the experience of Paul and his companions. And so um, um, I want to speak on how God guides. Then one last thing of introduction is that it's interesting that this apostolic team, God guides them on the move. So they're actually moving. And if you're not sure what God is calling you to do, just keep moving, don't get passive. Uh, I think of a guy I met once, he came to the church in Bedford and I said, you should get involved in the church. He said, I'm not going to get involved, I'm only here for a year. And uh, so just sat there and I said, oh, you could make such a contribution. Um, the following year, once you had been there for a year, I said, you should get involved. He said, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm actually only here for two years now. So we've got one more year we've been here. I said, well, you should get involved. I preached in that church about 15 years later. He was still there. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes you, you, your plan is you're going to stay for a year, but you just don't know. So just, just get involved, make a contribution, go to the growth track. Make a contribution. Maybe you're here studying. You're only here for three years. Well, be a player. Get involved. Make a contribution. Uh, You never know. You might be here for more than three or one. Um, So that was the last point. And now quickly, um, don't worry, I'll finish on time. Don't worry. I'm as hungry as you are. Okay, so five quick points on how God guides, okay? So this is not a three-point sermon, this is a five-point sermon. Well, these are not really points, they're comments, okay? Because if they were points, we'd be here all day. So how does God speak to us? Well, he speaks to us firstly through circumstance of life. Now, you might not like the port that you're in at the moment, but this apostolic team ended up in a port, Troas, I met people. I talked to them. I said, "What? Are you, where are you going in your life?" They go, "Well, I don't want to be where I am. You have to own where you are. <laughs> you know, maybe things have happened to you that you hadn't hoped would happen to you, but they have. You've got to own where you are. So you start by owning the port you're in. I am here. I'm in St. Louis. I'm here. I'm in Jubilee Church. This is my reality. Okay, I'm here. So you have to own that. Um, you have to embrace it, and then God can speak to you. For the Apostle Paul, it was like, Ah." Oh right, okay. So that's why God closed the door to Ephesus and that's why God closed the door to Bithynia and we're in we're in Troas. The port of Troas actually, if you stand at the port and look at it, it actually looks west. So he would have stood there at the port and looked out and thought, It's pushing us west. I never thought we'd go there. So we're gonna oh God, you're gonna open up Europe to us. I hadn't seen that, but that's why you closed that door and that closed that door. Now I can see why you did that. And um Sometimes that happens in your life. Certain circumstances that you didn't necessarily choose point you in a certain direction. This happened to me as a young man. I, was, I got saved at 19 and I, I, I was, a, I think nearly my whole life, but from the age of 19, I got saved and I'm like, I'm an all-in type person. I, I don't know if, some people say I'm intense. My wife says I'm Intense. I once came home and said, I did a personality test and it said, you're intense, Steve. And I came back to Deb. we have been married years. And I said, you won't believe. It said, I'm intense. And Deb looked at me and she said, you're the most intense person I've ever known. And I should know because I'm married to you. <laughs> I mean, that is intense. So, you know, I got saved. I mean, I'm, I'm the type of person, if Jesus is raised from the dead, that is a complete game changer. I, 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 I struggle with lukewarm Christians that are kind of, oh, I am a Christian, but I've got a foot in the world. Oh, get a life. You know, I mean, really. I mean, Jesus, actually, I haven't got to pass you afterwards, so I can just do this, Dylan's call. Okay, So it's just like, it's just like come on, he's it's, it's risen. It changes everything. Life is short and eternity is long. And so uh, I, I've kind of like an all-in person. So by the age of 20, I felt the call of God on my life. I want to serve God and uh, I was in the Baptist church and I met the pastor Peter that I spoke to great guy and he said yeah I think we see the call of God on your life and I was going to go to Spurgeon's Bible College in South London and uh, I was going to study uh, the Hebrew and the Greek because a four-year theological course but what you don't know about me is that when I was at school I wasn't very bright I surprised some of you I can tell I was a bit cool. I was cool at school, but I didn't do a lot of work. I walked around with my blazer collar up. You know, I was that type of cool guy, yeah? And um, so I didn't didn't pass any exams. In fact, I left school at 16. I didn't pass one exam. I failed them all. Yeah? And... um, and I was particularly bad at languages. In fact, I'm dyslexic, so I'm really poor at English as well. So if I was to send you a text, it doesn't always make sense. That's why I married an English graduate, so that when I send a text, even now I can say, does that make sense? So she looks at it and she says, oh, you've missed a word. So she puts it in for me. What a girl. Yeah. And, <laughs> and um, what happened was, uh, I, got, I did my French test. I got 4% in French. It's not high. Okay. And you get 4% in French and you're going to do Greek and Hebrew. It's not a good mix. Okay. And so I was really struggling with the call of God on my life. And I used to come home and sit my poor mum and dad who are faithful Christians and uh, uh, cry into my tea. I'd never done anything like this since or before, but I was like, oh my God. Do this. And I was dating this oh, awesome looking girl. What a girl. But she was away in university and I wasn't coping with the separation and all this stuff. And so in the end, circumstances of life meant I was not going to go to Bible college. So I didn't go to Bible college. I withdrew. I finished with a girl and I didn't go to Bible college. And I went into business and I did really well. And I got a BMW, made loads of money. I had a mobile phone that was a brick size. Do you remember that? Something back? Some of us that have kind of lived life remember that. None of this lightweight mobiles now. I mean, we were just serious brick screw it into the back of your car. Uh, if you had to go out, you had to carry <laughs> it. Do you remember those? Well, <laughs> it's tough back then, I'll tell you. And, um, and I just, just so I did, I did well. I'm very grateful for that season because what I learned in business for six or seven years really has helped me leading a large church. So I can see the hand of God on it. But at the time, it was a difficult time. Oh, yeah, by the way. I got the girl back as well. But that's a whole other story. In fact, that's a seminar. I mean, that's a, a series of how Deb, who, by the way, is she's, she's gracious and she's lucky. That's how I always say. She's a lucky girl. So that, 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 that's, that's how I do it. And she, she, I'm the preacher. She's not. So I can say that. But if you talk to her afterwards, I'm sure she will confirm that to you. No, I'm serious. I'm, I'm, it's British humour, Okay. Just to culturally translate it, I'm the lucky guy. Yeah, really. If the truth be known. So, but you've probably worked that out by now already. So, anyway, circumstances of life. So, God is probably speaking to you what you're going through. Doesn't mean life is not always meant. It, my, my observation is life ebbs and flows. There are really tough times that you, you know, one phone call away is just like you're in crisis. Yeah, that's 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 real life. If you've signed up following Jesus, you think it's just all good, happy days then you signed up to the wrong gospel. Sorry about that news today. Okay, second way God speaks is through prophetic leading. So they have Paul has this vision of the man from Macedonia. Oh, right, God is speaking us, opening up Europe. Oh, that's what the word is. Um, I don't know what it's like here. In my church, I have some people that are over here. They're kind of like the prophetic, like they are always getting dreams. They're writing prophetic words to me, Uh Yeah, you've met people like that. They're kind of like, sort of, they just seem to be wired to hear God. It's a wonderful thing. But if you're not like that, you can think they're a little wacky, to be honest. And then over here, you have the kind of pragmatists, feet on the ground. Yeah, got any of those here? And there's just like, well, I think it's great about these. I think it's. I'm not against them, but can we just keep it a bit real here and just keep it sort of earthed? And you know, we don't want to get into craziness and. And, and, and I found that Brian and myself are perfectly balanced between the two. You know, that's what pastors are. They bridge the prophetic and the pragmatic. Uh, I'm joking again. So, you know, so, um, and I think what you need in life is you need both. Yeah. Uh, and when I'm making a big decision, I love to have a prophetic word that speaks into the now. If I can, I would love that. Don't You don't always get that and it doesn't mean you can't make a decision without having a prophetic word. okay? But the bigger the decision, it really helps if you do. Uh, my one concern, if I can make a pastoral comment, is that sometimes people sort of weigh the prophetic far higher than any of the other guidance. yeah. And so someone gets a prophetic word from someone you've never met before in the corner of a meeting and then they come in and say, this is the word I'm going to build my whole life on this picture. And that's why I think that can be really helpful. But it also... Needs testing and sometimes needs testing against the other signs that that God gives us. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test everything and hold on to the good. Test everything, hold on to the good. Um, Thirdly, God speaks through the counsel of others. The counsel of others says, we concluded to leave for Macedonian. We concluded. It was like, there's a, you can see there's a team meeting. They come down for breakfast. I've had this vision. Oh yeah, gosh, that's why we're in trust. They kind of work it out. This is what God is saying. And if you have a big decision in your life, it's good to talk it through with others. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Or Proverbs fifteen twenty two plans fail for the lack of counsel but with many advisors, they succeed. You do meet some people that feel that strength comes from being independent. Yeah? Oh, I can, I'll make this decision. I don't need anyone else's counsel. I I. I don't think that's wise. And the bigger the decision, the more the greater counsel you want to take. So if, if Deb and I are making a big financial decision, like we're going to buy another house or a or something like that, a big, a big financial decision, not, not what we're going to eat for tea or something like that, a big financial decision, I will seek wide counsel. Deb and I, of course, will talk about it, probably pick up my dad, he's good with money, might even bounce it off my brother. I would definitely talk to two or three guys in the church who are, you know, that's their kind of area of expertise, financial management. I have a personal financial advisor. I want to get loads of input. And I'm just talking about a financial decision. It could be anything else, yeah? I, I want to get lots of counsel. And leading a church in 20, uh, 2009, right in the middle of the credit cunch, uh, one of the guys in the church who was a political leader in, the, in the, the borough I'm in phoned me up and said, I found a building for you. Would you like to buy it? This was on my day off, by the way. He said, it's going to cost three and a half million pounds. I said, I said to Dave, I said, Dave, I can't make a decision to buy a three million pound plus building on my day off without seeing it. He says, yeah, but I want to know if you're serious. I said, okay, I'm happy for you to represent us at the meeting. Okay, now that's how it started, but a decision wasn't made by me. I mean, I talked it through with the elders. I talked it through with senior staff. I talked it through with our board in our context, trustees they're called. Uh, I I sought counsel from people outside the church. I talked to key influencers in the church. By the time we made this decision, lots of people have been involved in the decision and shaped it. Uh, in fact, one of the trustees, in the end, upped the offer. Wasn't me. He said, "I think we should offer more." We upped the offer by a couple of hundred thousand pounds to secure the deal, because that is uh, that's wise. And the bigger the decision, the more input you want to get. Now, choose the people you get input from. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the the wise thing. And that's why it's great to be a part of a cross-cultural and also cross-generational church, because you just get the benefit of life wisdom. Yeah. And people that have walked through life before and I'm facing this thing with my kid, you know, we'll talk to someone that's kind of looks like they've done okay. You know, their kids are doing okay and they're just a little bit ahead. We like to hang out with people just a little bit older than us and just people a little younger than us. You know, that's why um, we, people that, I I have a prayer group that uh, are three, two other guys I pray with regularly. About once a month we have breakfast together. They're slightly older than me. I like it. I ask them about seasons of life and what's going through. Um, And uh, I encourage you to do something similar. Fourthly, God speaks through what you could call, uh, I call, use your mind, common sense or life wisdom. (laughs) You do meet some really spiritual people that make some really silly decisions. Have you ever met people like that? Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just my church. But I kind of think there's just sometimes God has given us a mind, so engage it there's a story that Nicky Gumbel tells in his book, Questions of Life. You know, Nicky Gumbel, Alpha and HTB, great church, great, great leader. He write, wrote in his book about a woman that would wake up in the morning and wait for God to speak about what time to get up. Yeah, And then once God has spoken about getting up, what to wear. Yeah, you know, I know it's a silly illustration, but I set the alarm. I made a decision what time I'm getting up today. And I chose this Preacher shirt. I just thought, I'm going to put my preacher shirt on today. I'm preaching. Okay, I've got to look, you know, contextually appropriate. And um, uh, so use your, use your mind and you gain wisdom. Age is a good thing. You gain wisdom. Um, and so fourthly use common sense. And then lastly, because my time's nearly gone, is that God guides us through the word of God. And I'm hoping that even as I've preached God's word today, that God's speaking to you. And if you're making a big decision, you're getting a framework from the word of God and from this apostolic team, how God uh, guides people. Now Psalm 32 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. What we have here in the book of Acts is a transitional moment. Uh, It's known as the We passages. It's where Luke, who wrote Uh, uh, the book of Acts, joins the apostolic team. So we know he joined them at Troas because he starts to write and we concluded. And I always think, isn't that amazing that he recorded that, wrote it, it became a part of the scriptures and now that word of God is speaking to us. Uh, I hope it is anyway. Uh, The we passages, Luke writes and it becomes a part of the canon and now it's the word of God to us. There's some research done, uh, which uh, talks about how do you grow as a Christian? (laughs) There's loads of things. Is it attending church? Is it uh, being in a group? And they're all very important. But they said the the way to grow as a Christian is to read the Bible. So I encourage you to read the Bible. And as you read the Bible, it's like a life, isn't it? Have you had moments like that when you're seeking God and you read it and it literally goes, boom, jumps out the page? It's a wonderful thing. And so God guides us through the Word of God. So there we have it, my friends. God speaks through the circumstances of life. He speaks through prophetic leading. He speaks through the counsel of others, through life wisdom, and through the Word of God. Let's, let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just pray and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm going to do that by asking you to stand where you are and then I'll probably just pray again and then I'm going to hand back to the band. So it's just really clear. I'm giving you the opportunity to respond to if you know you need the guidance of God or you feel God has spoken to you today, just so you can kind of seal the moment. And sometimes by just standing and saying, God, I'm available, speak to me, guide me. And God sees that and respond to God. Don't respond to me today, respond to God. Uh, And uh, uh, by standing in a moment, you're kind of saying, Lord, I want to be right in the centre of your will for my life. Um, I've got a difficult decision. Help me, Lord. So Lord, I thank you for every person here. Thank you for this great church, thriving community. I pray you continue to direct and guide this people. And I pray that you continue to guide each person. And I pray right now, Lord, just as... I've been speaking. I know that a number in the room of this size would be have you know decisions to make. I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to them and they'd know that you're guiding their steps. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So if you, if you just know you need the guidance of God or you felt God speaking to you today or you just want to stand before God and say, Lord, direct my life, just stand now, would you? And just, just as a way of responding, kind of sealing the moment, thank you, Lord.